You want the facts? We want to share them with you. Together, we'll boldly unpack the deeper truths inside the real estate industry's most relevant issues. This is Getting Real with Rob. Here's your host, Rob Namfeld. Hello, I'm Rob Nanfeld, and on today's episode of Getting Real with Rob, we're fortunate to welcome two leaders who bring their highly specialized experience to both the CRTPO and the Charlotte City Council. Welcome to Ron Pappas, Mayor of Waxhaw and Chair of the CRTPO, the Charlotte Regional Transportation Planning Organization, also known as CARTPO, and Ed Driggs, Charlotte City Council member currently serving in his fourth term. We join them in a lively discussion that runs the gamut from approaching their government roles as businessmen, not politicians, to interdependency of economic health and plan growth. And finally, the absolute vital role Charlotte plays in the overall health of the entire state of North Carolina. Ron, can you tell us a little bit about CARPO as, as chair of that body? Sure. I think people have to really understand, you know, what the CARPO is. It is the Charlotte Regional Transportation Planning Organization. We use acronyms so many times in our vernacular, on our daily vernacular, that we forget, you know, what these organizations actually are defined to do. So CARPO is basically the transportation middleman, if you will, between the state DOT and the local municipalities of Iredale, Mecklenburg, and Western Union County. Uh, how, how long have you served on CARTPO and, and what's your experience there? I'll just add to what Ron said that uh, CARTPO is a federally mandated municipal planning organization. Uh, so this is required by federal law for that for planning on a regional basis. And we include, uh, I think, two or three counties. Uh, we are also uh, affiliated whether we relate to two other CARTPOs or MUMPOs uh, near us. So essentially, this is the place in which large-scale planning on a regional basis takes place. And Rob, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> um, how many how many members do you have on, on, on the committee and how does that work? And I, I heard something about Charlotte having a weighted vote. Can you speak yes. to that a little bit? I think there are a total of 30 members, Ron. 30 members. There's uh, 62 that uh, sit on the entire register. Right. And uh, but the way it's done is it's weighted. So because of Charlotte's population, Charlotte has a a large uh minority, like under 50%, but a substantial vote. And therefore it would take uh, uh, only a few of the others in order to achieve a majority of Charlotte votes one way or the other. Okay. And, and how, so just straying a little bit from CARPO to the, again, to the broader region, how does this play into the, the overall, I know there's been talk, at least in the Charlotte city council about connect beyond and, and, and that, how, how does this body relate to kind of what, what is going on there? Well, we went and uh, went down the path of a little bit of a reorg uh, when I got onto the CARPO board. Uh, as mayor, all of us get a seat on that board anyway. And I was uh, asked to be co-chair of an organization or of a subcommittee that was going to kind of redefine. We're, our region is getting so big that we needed more definition and specific definition to what CARPO's role was going to be. And CARPO originally was trying to be almost everything to everybody. And after a while, we realized that we didn't have the capacity to do that. And so we needed to focus on what we could do and get done. And basically, CARPO wants to be the, the information network 
uh, for all of our regions to be able to decide or determine how they get funding federally and even from the state as well, from NCDOT. And so we wanted to be that go-to, that uh, know-it-all, if you will, have all the information at our fingertips. And so we reorged to do that and now are implementing those plans to include a lot of the organizations around us, like the Builders Associations and, and REBIC and all that. We'd like to have them come and be more involved in our organization so they have a little bit of a say at the table, if you will. Okay. And Rob, the plan to which you referred, uh, Connect Beyond, is being developed by the Central Lina. It's a council of governments. So this is a separate group of government cooperation organizations, if you will, and they've been doing work on a regional mobility plan. Uh, Charlotte developed a mobility plan of its own and is now uh, basically transitioning to incorporating the plan that we had into the Connect Beyond vision that Central Lina has. Great. Um, so... You both have served for, for a little while on this body. Um, you bring specific talents and experience. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of what, what those are that you that you bring both to the table, some of your experiences, your, your personal backgrounds, as well as your uh, time in elective office. Ron, you want to go? Sure. Uh, my career has been in the residential real estate development, home building operations for more decades than I want to admit. Uh, I've probably put on the ground about 25, 27,000 uh, residences and some commercial properties involved in that as far as the master plan community development. Roadway infrastructure, all the long-term planning, I have to be out uh, 5, 10, 15 years ahead of the market and and try to do the best job I can and to have the best information and then the best guesses on where the market's going to be. Uh, my one role here as region president of a, uh, a national home builder here in the area came, I had the entire Southeast. So a lot of the roadway infrastructure and planning was in my area of experience. And that's what I wanted to bring to the table here. Right. Ed? Rob, I've been on city council for nine years. I've participated in the entire evolution of the mobility plan we have now and our UDO and various other planning processes. Uh, prior to joining council in my prior career, uh, I worked in finance. I retired from Goldman Sachs uh, in 2001. And from that, I have a knowledge of transactions, of structuring transactions, commercial kind of dimensions to these conversations, which is sometimes otherwise absent from our involvement with developers and the business community. Uh, and in particular, if you take a situation like I-77, which we're talking about right now, that's the kind of thing I used to do. And therefore, I think that's the particular thing I bring to the conversation is that knowledge of how these deals are put together. Oh, that's great. That's, that's, uh, we're, we're lucky to have you and have you both in the, in the places that you are. And I'd like to add to that as well. I mean, yeah. one of the things that we find, at least from my uh, viewpoint in my role as mayor in the town of Waxhaw, we really try to look at it as running it as a business. And it's not a benevolent association to deal with. We have to look at the income streams, the revenue streams, and then how we uh, manage that dollar going out. And I think that's one of the things that uh, both Ed and I yeah. bring to the table is that look that usually doesn't happen at any government entity is that financial look, that business look. Does this make sense? Do we have the revenue to do it? And how can we spend it? Well, I, ch I chaired our budget committee for years. And, and that was the reason because I brought to that process the same sort of 
idea of efficient use of resources, productivity, and kind of business type criteria applied to a government funding environment. Well, and that's encouraging because some a wise gentleman once told me that the private sector operates uh, faster, more efficiently, and smarter than than the government does uh, on most occasions. So. Um, <laughs> we won't comment publicly on that. <laughs> I figured you'd get a laugh out of that. Uh, so if you had, a, we talked a little bit about the federal nexus, the state nexus, obviously the region trying to figure out um, our, our needs based on growth. And, you know, the fact is people are going to continue to move here as long as we don't enact some crazy policies similar to, to what they have where people are moving from, then people are continuing to move here. We are at a um, a fantastic location in terms of uh, transportation modes, uh, uh, you know, trade, all of that. Um, what, what would you say to both the state and the federal representatives who have a say in sort of where these dollars are going to go? If you had one thing to tell them about this region, what would that, what would that be in, in terms of getting, getting stuff done, getting to the outcome that we're looking for? Oh, Ed, Ed's got his hand up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, from a Charlotte perspective, I would point out to them that Charlotte is actually a major economic driver in North Carolina. So the tension that exists between Charlotte and the legislature is counterproductive for, for them and for us. And we need to work together. Uh, they need to recognize the benefit to the state. 35% of the economic growth of North Carolina happens in the Charlotte area. And uh, I think we could do more to partner on a lot of these things and pursue a common goal. I would agree. The awareness factor is going to be very important going forward. I think that too much in our political environment that we get more concerned about getting reelected than doing something. And we're in the position that we're in right now, even regionally, almost every aspect is because of the inability or unwillingness to take action because it would might be unpopular with the voter. I think that's a real dangerous ground to get in because then you keep kicking that can down the road and you never deal with the problem. We need to deal with the problem. The difficulty in that, Ron, is that, uh, you know, the voters are our constituents, right? They elected us. They expect us to act in their interest. So if we have a situation where we think their short-term interest doesn't really align with the long-term interest of the community, the burden on us is, is basically to inform and persuade. Uh, and I'm in this situation in my district frequently where there's, a, say, a petition for a rezoning. I get a lot of opposition because of traffic or something nearby. And yet in the grand scheme of things, Charlotte needs this development in order to address our housing cost concerns and in order to keep a vibrant economy in which we're creating jobs. So uh, we sometimes find ourselves in a, in a bit of a squeeze in terms of uh, what we see, what our constituents see, and then being responsive to them. Very, very valid point on, on that. I mean, I think our our constituents need to be informed, and in which they're typically not. And, and I say that pretty candidly because when I do have these kind of conversations and people will say to me or suggest to me that I should do certain something a certain way, I always tease with them. I said, well, that would be breaking the law, and that's what we're here to abide by. So if you want to, uh, if you want to pay my fine and serve my jail term, I'll be more than happy to break anything you want. So <laughs> you know, I joke with that, but the reality is, is once you get down and get these kind of drill down conversations with a constituency, now they understand. And the other part that they don't understand is that really nothing. And some of my developer community friends would enjoy this, but. 
nothing happens without development. No one out there puts things in pre-development. It's always as a result, every roadway, every community, every amenity that we enjoy here in the region is put in place when a landowner or developer comes to the table. And that's where we get to them, guys like Ed and I get to sit down with those guys and we really have to discern what's important for our community and how you get to that long range vision and have people understand that. And I think the persuasive part is a big part of it. And that's part of our experience in our, we'll call it negotiating skills is to be able to weave through those corridors. They're tough. It's not easy. Everybody thinks it's easy. It's not. And Rob, the, experience. Uh, the, uh, the job that we have uh, is to harmonize private investment with the priorities of the city. And, and sometimes I think local government overestimates its ability to influence what happens in the market. I keep reminding my colleagues that as we envision a, a city at, in 2040 or whenever, 99% uh, of the money that is needed in order to achieve that vision is going to come from private investors and from development. So we can put some guardrails up or we can create some incentives, but we cannot imagine a city that's completely different from what the, our community and the investors are aiming for. So clearly leadership is hard. It's, it's a challenge. Um, what this kind of on this train of thought, what, how, how do you address your constituents when um, I, I see in some in some jurisdictions jurisdictions in North North Carolina um, the, the 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 shiny objects, the really nice things that the city is excited about, come to come come to fruition. They come to being, but then the kind of the basic functions like potholes and things like that sort of are put by the wayside. And then by the time it is, you have to try to catch up on it. It's more expensive. It's difficult. How do you convince? How do you create that balance with your constituents and sort of meeting their needs on that daily function, also giving them the shiny objects. Where, where's that balance? Where's it? Where's that? Well, I think it goes back to, again, the information highway that we have to convey. That's our job is to convey that. There isn't an understanding from the constituents on how government works. They think that there's this big ginormous pot of money that we just pull from and spend at will. And everything in government is, as Ed will attest to, everything is a process. And I think people need to understand that if the pothole is still there, why isn't it fixed? Because there isn't money available to do that. So how do you, you have to be aware that people say, well, gee, I don't want my taxes to go up, but I want that pothole fixed. Well, that pothole costs money to fix. And so now how do I increase my revenue stream? Do I increase gas tax? Do I have a road use tax? Whatever that is, people need to understand fluently on what it takes to run the government. And I don't think that we do the greatest job of explaining that to the constituents. I think the biggest tension we have right now is actually among members of council. Uh, we allocate almost 25% of our capital capacity to one priority, which is affordable housing. Uh, I believe that we're creating exactly the situation you described. There's kind of a deficit accumulating of our basic responsibilities, paving the roads, creating sidewalks, and doing the things that most citizens expect from us. So uh, finding that balance in the budget is hard. I stick my neck out and I argue that we really ought to be paying more attention to those basic things uh, and, and not hoping that with our meager investment capacity, we can sort of change the marketplace for housing. Uh, and that's an ongoing challenge. 
But otherwise, dealing with constituents, uh, most of the time it has to do with, again, our land use decisions and how it affects their lives. So am I seeing, you know, cars going by or am I finding it impossible to get out of my neighborhood because the road is so crowded that I need to enter? They have concerns about the creation of large buildings and what it looks like from their single family homes. And we have to say to them, well, it's a goal of the city to create more housing because we're trying to bring the, co the cost of housing down. And, uh, uh, you know, how do we reconcile that? How do we avoid clashes between certain kinds of development in some areas with what is around it? Um, so you've got a bunch of different constituencies. You're trying to keep everybody happy. Ha having said that, we just as a reminder, Rebic is made up of a pretty diverse uh, uh, amount of interests. Uh, we have, we're all real estate, but it's, it's realtors, it's the home builders, it's the commercial developers, it's the apartment folks. Um, it's everybody that touches real estate basically in the Charlotte region. Some of our members have different uh, priorities than others, but we're all essentially on the same team going forward. We want, we all want a better Charlotte region in the future for our, for our children. You know, in terms of transportation and meeting those needs going forward, on CartPo, uh, as well as some of your other responsibilities that you're engaging in, what can we do as an organization or or our allies, our strategic allies, do to help get move for, move the ball forward in terms of some of those priorities, and also um, in terms of informing the public? What role do we play in that as well? Well, I'll I'll speak uh, from the CartPo side. I mean, I would like to see more engagement between organizations like Rebic with CartPo, so they can be the ambassadors that we're looking for to continue that information highway out. It, we can't really reach at this level. We can't really reach the individual constituent, and. Part of that constituency is the home building associations, the real estate development groups, anything that has to do with the real estate movement in the region. And so I would like to see more of them become involved and understand that and let us get to know them. Ed and I seem to pride ourselves on our interpersonal relationships with the people that we deal with. That goes a long way. Anymore with, you know, COVID and stuff, you, you don't really get that touchy-feely thing with people anymore. And I think it's important that we get face-to-face -face with organizations that are here in the region to help them understand what our movement looks like, what it takes to get things going. And then we get direct input with them at very high levels. From then, I see it trickling down membership layer after layer, you get the leadership membership, and then you get the next layer down, and then you get the constituents. I think that's very important for them, our membership, your membership as well, to understand that dynamic. Rob, I can give you a great example. You may recall that as the 2040 plan was in development, I came to you and to others and said, guys, wake up, pay attention to this, right? So that's just an illustration of how uh, you need the interaction between the private sector and the government. In my mind, we're basically one huge P3, public-private partnership, right? So uh, the government is making land use policies and has goals, right? The investors have uh, a perception of the market and their own kind of return on investment priorities. And so we need to work together. Uh, I think there's a lot of goodwill that I've heard from uh, investors and developers that we are not fully exploiting as a city. So they say to us, hey, you know, we're with you, we get it. And, and our own projects benefit from achieving some of your goals. But if my colleagues or if the city uh, staff 
kind of impose requirements or expectations that make the whole thing uneconomic, it's not going to happen. And we're going to make ourselves uncompetitive with other cities. Uh, we're going to lose out. So I would hope that the uh, interaction between uh, local government and CARPO and, and an organization like Rebook and its members would result in better coordination of what is happening privately and what we're trying to achieve with our transportation and development plans. Do you also see us as a, as a, a bridge, if you will, for we, it, the city of Charlotte is a very blue city in, the, in a red state, North Carolina. Waxhaw, a little bit different, but um, do you see us as a, as a bridge, as a assistance in terms of some of those relationships with uh, sort of the local leaders and regional leaders and those on the state legislature. I mean, we obviously they think enough of us to come in and have lunch with us today. We've got Speaker Moore and President uh, uh, Berger coming in. Um, uh, do you see us playing a role in that as well? I think particularly because of the divide I just mentioned between Mecklenburg County and Raleigh, there is the potential for an organization like Rebic to kind of help close a gap, if you will, and, and convey to the legislature uh, the valid reasons why some of the things we're trying to do actually make sense. But that means that, first of all, we have to work together to achieve a common purpose. And I think we did a lot of that in trying to refine the 2040 plan, and, and we're still working on the UDO. Um, but your ability to talk from a different vantage point with legislators uh, and maybe have better access because of their experience with Mecklenburg County um, could be very valuable, but we need to cooperate on that. Agreed. And I, and I agree with all of that. I think, you know, we need to do a much better job on establishing relationships. And I think one of the things that we're working on now, and even in both my roles uh, as an elected official, a continuum of the same leadership, if you have good leadership, making that assumption, but a continuum of that is what's going to make it happen. Too many times we have to uh, react to the two-year term syndrome where everybody's changing out in two years and you never get anything done because the guy who started it, he's gone. He's doing something else. And now you've got a newbie that's going to take a year to catch up to even where he should have been and then try to move things forward and then understand those long-term relationships. The relationships that, you know, this region has with Raleigh needs to be enhanced because we are a significant part of their economic engine. So we need to have more of a voice over there. And organizations like yours could be that voice, that bridging that gap again, to be in there to make sure that guys like Ed and I get the introductions to the people that we need to do so we can do the best we can, our God-given talent, to influence decision-making for the region. And Ron, you know that the Charlotte City Council last week uh, took up again the subject of four-year terms. Um, I have mixed feelings about that, but uh, there is no question that when you get that turnover and you have new people uh, every two years, that things that take longer than two years uh, have a bumpy road because you don't know what the next generation is going to say. That's correct. Um, and we've had that conversation down in the county and Union County as well as, you know, stop having staggered terms. Just have, you know, four-year terms. Get done what you can get done in the four years. And if they've liked what you've done in the four years, they'll put you in office for four more. But it takes so long in government to get anything done. It's almost eight years is what it takes to get somewhere with something at any point in time. Look how long we've been working on I-77. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite topic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and that speaks to the efficiency issue that we described earlier. Mm -hmm. And you guys are so dang efficient that we're, we went right through our agenda. (laughs) Awesome. So I I do want to just comment though. uh, I I think as far as your community, your membership is concerned, um, you see development taking place, right? And we're making mobility plans. And the question is, does your uh, industry perception of where the growth is and so on align with the decisions we're making? So if you take the silver line, for example, uh, we just now, uh, a week ago, agreed that the silver line would go up around Uptown to the north of Uptown and come down on the so-called locally preferred alignment. And the idea is that that will be a driver of growth. I don't know how much input the industry had on the likelihood that that is going to come true in the way that the planners imagine. So I think uh, an, ex- an ongoing exchange of views uh, w- would help to inform us and then to the extent that we're clear about where we're going, and I think we have put something out there that people can look at. But uh, So let's not have uh, <clears throat> the market kind of booming over here and we're putting, you know, new bus routes and, and train tracks over there. Uh, so that's, I think, an, an important conversation that we can continue to have. As far as CARTPO is concerned, uh, people don't really know what it is or understand how it works. So I think a role you can play is to get a message out as to the kinds of conversations that are happening at CARTPO. One of the interesting things about it is you can get an early look at that stuff that's being talked about. Like we just rearranged a couple of the segments of I-74 in terms of the sequence of development there. Uh, We are having discussions about I-77 and uh, widening that, working maybe on a P3 or with with a a partner. Uh, Of course, Sintra is the name that keeps coming up because of what was done before. But there is an impact of all of this activity for uh, developers and development. And I think the more they inform themselves early, the more capacity they have to influence what happens. No, I think that's that's great, Ed. And I think you've inspired me. We have a new section of our website that's going to be operational very shortly. I'm looking at Kameen, our specialist on that. So, Good. Uh, Ron, did you want to add to that? Well, I, I think it's important, again, going back to the relationship building. Uh, if there isn't anyone out there that perceives value in anything that any of us do, then it's not going to get any traction at all. I think that we need to have our development community get together with us so we can better inform our public on what their intentions are. And then we can plan accordingly to make sure not only from it is, is it going to be a good project or a good development for the region or the area, but does it serve all the needs that we want? Does it take care of transportation needs? And how does it take care of transportation needs? Everything that we do going forward is going to cost more than it did before. That's just a given. Unless anybody can tell me that they've got this magic formula to reduce costs and everything, my assumption is it's going to cost more. So again, to Ed's point earlier about development costs money to do and we have to have the development in place uh, economically to make it viable for the landowner or developer. Again, nothing happens without development. And this misnomer that if we put the brakes on things and stop things, that everything is going to get better. It's not. It's like a wreck on the freeway. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Mayor Ron Pappas of Waxhaw, Councilman Ed Driggs of the City of Charlotte. Uh, Appreciate your time. Have a good one. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This has been Getting Real with Rob. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Getting Real with Rob. This podcast is produced by the Real Estate and Building Industry Coalition in Charlotte, North Carolina. Learn more about us at rebic.com. That's R-E-B-I-C dot com. We'll talk to you next time.